0: Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Wood of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Hebrews chapter 9, one verse, verse 27 says this, And justice is appointed for man to die once. Everyone say once. And after that comes the judgment. We've been in a series called... After that, we've been looking at the after that. This is week three of that series, our final week of this series, wrapping it up today. But it's been a great series and, uh, God's been speaking to us. But before we get into the word of God today, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful. We thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that it's able to get into our life in areas where nothing else can penetrate and it can bring supernatural change. It changes us. And so God, I pray that you would anoint me as I preach. Lord God, you would anoint the men and women here as they would listen. Give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us individually and us collectively. We go, pray God for your presence to be on our children right now. Lord God, as they are, as they are having fun and they are uh, learning about you and they're having a great experience in your house. We pray God that their friends are going to get saved today. Lord God, we pray that lives are going to be changed today. Lord, there's going to be an impact where where children would say, I want to be in church with my parents. I want to be in the house of God. And we pray, God, that as they would find themselves in the house of God when they're young, that they would find themselves in the plan of God when they're older. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Why don't you high five the person beside you? Tell them how amazing they're looking this morning, that you're glad to be sitting beside them. And just as it is, Hebrews nine twenty seven, 27, there are things in life that just is. You may not like it, but it just is. You may not want it, but it just is. You may not ask for it, but it just is. You may not even feel like you deserve it, may have no interest in it, but it just is. The law of gravity just is. What goes up will come down. The law of harvest just is. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. The law of urgency just is. If you are ever in a real hurry, miraculously, from all around society, slow drivers make their way onto the freeway and they occupy all the lanes. It just is. Death just is. Hebrew says, and just as it is, appointed under man to die once. Death does not discriminate. It just is. It doesn't matter whether you are uh young or old, it doesn't matter whether you are tall or short, it doesn't matter whether you are nice or nasty, it doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're skinny or horizontally challenged. It doesn't matter whether you're black, you're white, you're brown, you're beige, or overly sunburnt. Death just is. And the after that just is. It is appointed for man to die once. And then the Bible says, then after that. Every one of us in the room today, every one of us has an after that. And that after that is the that which comes after our that. The life that you and I are living right now, that's our that. And now that that also has a before that. So we need to understand that we have a before that, a present that and, and after that. And those vats are the sort of thing that I'm talking about today. If I just added a cat to the that and a mat to the that, while I was talking about the vats, you would definitely think, oh, okay, I get it. Last week we had Dr. Anna preaching, and today we've got Dr. Seuss. <laughs> there are certain things in life that just is judgment just is and justice is a point of a man to die once and after that comes the judgment all of us at some point will face judgment we will give an account for our life we're all going to face judgment in week 1 i spoke a lot about uh The judgment that we're creating in our life, where our friends and family, when we die, are going to judge our life. They're going to write our eulogy. We're technically writing it today, but they're going to announce what they thought of us when we die. There's going to be a judgment from friends and family. I spoke about living your life to write your eulogy Last week, Dr. Anna spoke brilliantly on how we judge the sting of death, how you and I judge death when it happens to us or happens to those who we we love, we, we judge that, and then how we are judged after death for our sin. This week, I, I want to talk about living as a Christian because I don't think that we think about the after that too much as the church. Jeremiah said before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you, God spoke to Jeremiah and said, hey, before you, before I knew you, before you, I consecrated you, before you, I appointed you, Before there was a you, you existed in the mind and the heart of God. No one here today is an accident. No one here today is an afterthought. No one here today is a mistake. You existed in the mind and the heart and the vision and the purpose and the plan of God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were... Born. The common element for all of us here today is we were born. I was born. I was born yesterday was my birthday, and I was born years ago yesterday. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. You know you know when you got grandkids when the happy birthday song you wanted was there's a cat licking your birthday cake. It's a great song, you should look it up. It's appointed on a man wants to die. There are beginnings and there are endings. Everything has a season. That's how God created the planet, that's how God created us. There are seasons, there's comings and there's goings. Our 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 gravestone, there will be a birthday, and then there will be a date of our death. And in between the birthday and the death day, there is a dash. And that dash between the two dates, that is our life. And so all of us have a before that and a present that and an after that. The dash, that's the that. That's the that. Our our life. In Acts chapter 2, Peter got up and stood up and he preached and he said, this is that that the prophet Joel had prophesied. He was getting up when the church was birthed. It was the beginning of the church season. He said, this is not an afterthought. This is not an accident. We we gathered here in one accord because Jesus told us to gather. But everything that you just saw, the rushing mighty wind, the tongues of fire sitting on people's heads, everyone speaking, the oracles of God. In foreign languages, all of that was pre-planned by God hundreds of years ago, that the church would be birthed, that God's spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And he said, this is that, that's that moment the church was birthed, God's people filled with power, and that's God's plan. The touch of God is always for the task of God. And so we see here in the book of Acts, God's kingdom plan for the planet being mobilized, being birth, day one, the birth of the church. And Joel said, this is that. You and I, as the church, we're living in that, that for the church. As you and I had a plan before we're born and individually, we're living in that, that. We are all born... With this is that possibility. Every one of us. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The day that we discover that God has called us into the kingdom of God at such a time as this, we declare this is that. So we have a moment where we're born. We have a moment where we're born again, where we get saved. You're going to have an opportunity today at the end of the service, if you're not right with God, to get your life right with God is the best decision that you are ever going to make in your life. You're going to get an opportunity for that. But then there's a point after we're saved when we say, you know what? I I wasn't born just to occupy time. I was born with kingdom purpose. I was born with kingdom promise. I was born with kingdom possibility. And we make a decision that I want to live for that. Now, many of us, when we hear that, face that, well, I am not sure I can do that. Some of us face an opportunity where we say, I'm not sure I want to do that. Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak for I am only a youth. So when God gave him his vat, he's like, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I can speak. I'm only a youth. Now, if there's one thing that we can get people to be in unity in, it's excuses on why they can't do it. Esther said, I'm scared. Mary said, I, I can't do it. I'm a virgin. Moses said, I'm not sure I can do it. I'm a man of stammering lips. Isaiah said, I, I, I don't know how I can do it. I'm a man of unclean lips. Jesus spoke to a rich young ruler and said, if you want to experience the kingdom, if you want to follow me, sell everything that you have and follow after me. And he said, I, 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 I'm not sure I can do all that. I'm not sure I can give all that up. Why? Because he's rich, and he was young, and he was a ruler. He said, I, I, I'm not sure I can leave everything and follow you because I've got great wealth. And, and, I, and I like my lifestyle. I, I like what the wealth brings to me. I, I like engaging in that. I, I'm wealthy. I've got financial matters I've got to look after. He was young. I'm not sure I want to do that. I, but can I do that when I'm older? Can I do that when 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 I when I'm not when I'm not a young person? Like, can I put it off to another day? Can I do that tomorrow? And he was a ruler. I I don't know if I want to be told what to do. I, I, I want to be the boss of my own world. I, I, I like leading. I want to encourage you today. Do not let your excuse be bigger than your obedience. If God has called you. He called you for a reason. He called you into the kingdom for such a time as this. And the thing that we usually get into court on is our excuses. Luke chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus gives a parable about a a marriage supper. And he says, and they all began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go and examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I, "I just got married, and therefore I cannot come." They all began to make excuses in one accord. That's what they had in common. The first guy's like, "Well, I'm not sure I can I, I can I can come. I, I just bought some land, and you know, and I I got to go and check out the land." And, and Jesus is like, "Well, it was the land there before?" You purchased it? Yeah? Is the land there right now. Yeah? Will it be there next week? Like if you come to the supper, invite people to come, when it's all over, will it still be there? Well, yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not planning to, to get a shovel and dig it up and move the land somewhere else. No. So it's an excuse. Yeah. What's your excuse? Well, it's not an excuse. It's a reason. I just bought five yoke of oxen. Which is like saying, I just bought a Ferrari. What do you want to do? I want to go and check out my Ferrari. You haven't checked it out? No. Bought it on Amazon. <laughs> do you know if it works? Hopefully. Spent all that money on a Ferrari. You didn't test drive it. You bought five yoke of yoke of oxen you didn't test them to make sure they can actually well, I don't know a word for oxen what do the oxen do? Oxenate <laughs> you can get your oxen to, oxenate do oxen stuff ox things did you, like, did you like just talk about brainy stuff did you notice how how uh, Greg and Champion when they talked about the cards they used words like old school and old fashioned because they're trying to come up with good grammar, and then Dr. Anna gets up, and she's like, tectile. <laughs> if you are tactile. I saw Champion and Greg Googling the word tactile. <laughs> Champion turned to Greg and said, they're not made out of textile. It's tactile. The other guy's like, I just got married. I'm not allowed out. She won't let me. But they began to make excuses in one accord. Obedience says, I must do that. That's what obedience says. I must do that. Jeremiah 1. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you. You shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, the Christian life is a partnership. God is not going to enlarge his kingdom and not going to build his church on his own. He called us to be in partnership with him. I know people like to say it because it sounds holy. Well, we can't do anything. God's got to do Everything. I, I know people because they want to sound holy or, or spiritual when they take the offering and they'll get up and they go, Oh, we're going to receive our offering today. God, God does, God doesn't need, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need this. God doesn't need that. That's not Bible. Technically, it's correct. God doesn't need it. He built the planet without you. So God can do a lot of things without you. But that's not how God chose to do it. When God had a word, he chose Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, you're a prophet. I need you to prophesy. He said, I can't do it. I'm a youth. God didn't say, well, don't worry. I don't really need you. I'll do it myself. He said, no, I want to use you. And then God touched him, filled his mouth with the word and gave him the word. Now it's Jeremiah's responsibility to give the word and to give a platform for the word is accepted. So there's a whole heap of things that Jeremiah needed to do. God chose to be in partnership with us. God could choose to just flourish us with cash that he didn't need you to do it. But he chose for you to partner with him. He said, you bring your ties in, so there's food in my house. Now, I'll put food into your house, but you need to put food. This is a partnership. We get to do it with God. I know people are going, well, what about the Bible? What about the Bible? The Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer's labor in vain. Well, you think that because you only read the first part of the verse. Unless the Lord builds the house. Well, what's the next bit say? The laborers labor. Someone's doing the work. Laborers are laboring in partnership with God. And so God says, don't do it on your own. If you do it on your own, you're going to labor in vain. But if you do it with me, you're going to labor with great reward. It's a partnership. God can do it without you, but God does do it, choose to do it with us. I think that's the greatest honor. I, I, I'm blown away by that. You would, you would use us? That's amazing. God says, you do what you do. I'll do what I can do. That's how it works. You do what you can do. And God says, I'm not going to do what you can do. I could do what you can do, but I'm not going to do what you can do. You can do what you can do, I'll do what I can do. You can't do what I can do, so I'll do what I can do, but you do what you can do. That's the way God works all through the scripture, and that's what he's saying to Jeremiah, step out and do what you can do. The Christian life is a partnership. God is not going to enlarge his church or his kingdom and build it on his own. It's like revival. People are praying for revival. Look, revival is great. And I, I, and I love revival, but, but revival pretty much boils down to be um, a lazy man's version of harvest. We just pray that God will do it all. We don't have to do anything. God will just do it. We can just sit here. Souls are going to get saved. It's a lazy man's way of harvest. But the Bible is pretty clear. That God gave us his mission. He called us to go into all the world. He gave us his power with the birth of the church. And God said, I'm not going to do it. You need to do it. So you need to get off your backside and you need to invite friends to church. You need to get off your backside and you need to bring friends to church. You need to take a risk and invite people to come. You need to be here and love on people when they come. You need to be here and love on people when they come into the lobby for the first time and make them feel at home. God says, I want you to partner with me to build my church. I'm not going to do it on my own. I want to use you to build my church. That's how God works. And revival is when God comes and he breathes on what we're doing. 120 people gathered in a room and God breathed on what they were doing, but he would have nothing to breathe on if they didn't turn up. And interestingly, Jesus appeared to 500 people and only 120 people turned up, which meant that 380 people had something better to do on that day. They had an excuse. Maybe 380 people said, well, look, we'd really like to be there on on that day, but I just bought a farm. I I just got five oxen. I just got married. I'm a rich young ruler. I can't turn up. And they allowed their excuse to rob them from being there at the birth of the church and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. So God calls us to build his church. And here's the other thing. Our this is that has a shelf life. It has a use by date. And justice is appointed under man to die once. Every one of us has a use by date. It's an all over Red Rover. It's finished for every one of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal. In the heaven. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we are not found, may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, this is our body, it's a tent. We groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed so so that what is mortal may be swallowed up with life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. And he has given us his spirit as a guarantee. Now, Paul is a tent maker. He's using this as an illustration because Paul understands tents. He understands what it's all about. And he understands that a tent is only a temporary dwelling place. It's not like a house. So our body's a temporary dwelling place. Moses was called to build God a tent. It's the tabernacle. They spent millions of dollars building a tent. But the tabernacle had a shelf life. They didn't use it for very long, a few decades. And so it had a shelf life. That's what a tent is all about. In John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. It says, Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt is where we get the word tabernacled. The Word became flesh and camped with us. Jesus took on an earthly body, and He only camped out with us for 33 years. And then he took off that tent, and he put on a heavenly body. That's what we're going to do. Our our body is a tent. Anna spoke last week about the body being a tent. Her father, my father-in-law, is a. He he loves camping. He 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 loves nature. He loves stuff like that. He he's very very like like he, he studied like plants and things. Did like some brainy. Like, like, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not like that. We go to the botanical gardens with my, my in-laws. Like, I'm a 20-minute I'm a person in the botanical gardens. Like, you want to do the quick tour in the botanical gardens? Come with me. Now let's go. That's a tree. That's a leaf. It's a leaf that fell off the tree. Look, there's some more trees. That's a plant. That's what? It's a green plant. Yeah, it's a, yeah, okay, a green plant with red flowers. Flowers, they're red. What are they? They're not yellow. You can tell because they're red. There's yellow ones down here. Let's go. That, that's me. No, not her dad. Her, her dad, he's like, he's like, he grabs the plant. Oh, look at this beautiful little plant. Crikey, it's awesome. He's not Australian. But anyway, that's what he would say if he was Australian. And he starts looking at the leaf. Oh, look at it. Look at the veins. He counts the veins, counts the veins in the leaves. Why? It's going to fall off and fall. Why oh, we count in the veins? He will tell you the like the, the technical name of the plant, and we've got to do the whole garden like that. The whole botanical gardens, like hours and hours. He's on plant one. I'm at the exit. <laughs> he likes to camp. He likes to go in a tent. Out in the, the wilderness, in the... Some of you will probably like that, like a tent out. I'm, I'm not the camping guy. Like, for me, roughing it is you check into the hotel and they don't have 24-hour room service. <laughs> me, roughing it is like I go to my bed at night and there's no chocolate on the pillow. <laughs> I'm bringing my own chocolates and throwing them on the pillow. So for all of us, there is an after that. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that. The Bible teaches us that we all need to live this life with a mentality of what comes after that. That that needs to be how we set ourselves up as the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about that, how he lives. He says, "...do you not know that in a race all the runners run?" He says, "...but only one receives the prize." Only one. "...so run that you may obtain it." Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Then he says, "...they do it to receive a perishable wreath. We do it to receive what is imperishable." In other words, they do it for the temporal, we're doing it for eternity. He says, I run with eternity in mind. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. That after preaching to others, I myself should not be disqualified. So Paul said, This is how I live. I live to win. I'm running to win. I want to be the best me that I can. I'm not running to beat you. I'm not running to beat you. I'm running to beat me. I want to be the best me I can possibly be. If I'm going to win, I'm going to get the prize of being all that God created me to be. And I'm going to get a a reward that's imperishable. I'm living in the perishable and there are cool things here, but I'm living with a mentality of gaining the imperishable. I run with direction, I run with purpose, I run with discipline, I run with self-control. And I definitely run in a way that when I get to heaven, I wouldn't have found out that I lived my whole life being disqualified. After that comes judgment. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. After that comes judgment. Judgment. And it speaks a lot about judgment in the Bible. Second Corinthians chapter five. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or bad. Now, the judgment seat, every one of us is gonna face. The Greek word here is the word bema. It's the bema seat of Christ. And it would have been a familiar term to the whole Corinthian church, the whole congregation. It was a place that the Roman governor would administrate justice. So Paul stood before the beamer seat of the, the judge and was judged uh, by Galileo. Jesus stood before the bema seat and he was judged by Pilate. When I was young, when I was 13 years of age, I stood before a judge. I may have only been 12, but I, I, had, a, I had a small bike. I had a, an XR70 uh, or something like that. It's a Honda. And I'd motocross race. I loved to ride my And we had a river down from where I lived in Melbourne and hills and a motocross track. And I was down there racing around with some friends and and uh and I, I, I come back from the river and there was a hill and there was a road. It was a dead end road. No, no one was really on it. It was a fairly empty road and, and I, I was had my friend on my bike and I scooted down the road and when I was going down the road there was a police car. Police car put on his lights and so I panicked. My friend jumped off, I said, run. Run, forest, and then I took off down back by the riverbank and hid for a little while, and I came back about 15 minutes later pushing my bike up, because you'd never ride on the road. I don't have a license. I'm only 13. This is crazy. So I pushed my bike up on the road, and there, there's the police car waiting for me. And so I wheeled it up to the police car. He said, are you John Morgan? yeah. Do you live at 3 Enfield Avenue, East Preston, Melbourne? This kid had given him all my information. (laughs) Yeah. Were you born on the 28th of October? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm coming to see your parents tonight. So 6 o'clock that night, the police officer turned up to my house. Told my parents that I'd have to go to court. I had to go to court, face a judge. My parents were not happy. My mother was not happy. She was really not happy. My mother, my my mother gave me a time out for that, but not your time out. Her time out. She punched me, knocked me out, and then timed it. And so my dad, my dad took me to the court. We went to the court, So judge there and a police officer. And I think my dad had watched one too many of those like lawyer movies on TV. And so the, the judge, the, 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 the police officer gave his thing and then he turned around to us. He said, Mr. Morgan, is there anything you'd like to say? And my dad goes, yes, your honor, I would. <laughs> he stands up like this. Yes, your honor, I would. And he says to the police officer, constable, is it not true? That that road my son was on was not a road used by vehicles. There were no cars on that road that day. No one uses that road. It's a dead end. So no cars are there. He didn't cause any danger. Is that not true, Constable? And the police officer is like, well, that's that's true, Mr. Morgan. It is not true. (laughs) That my son didn't run away from you. Because I didn't tell my dad that bit. My son didn't run away. When you talked to him, he gave you the answers that you were looking for. Is that not true? And the constable's like, yes. And then the judge intervenes and says, Mr. Morgan, this is traffic court. It's just a $10 fine. Everything's going to be okay. But I was high-fiving my dad on the way home. You're awesome. I might need you later in life. The judgment seat for the Christian is not a judgment seat for sin because our, our sin's under the blood. Ephesians chapter 2 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Our salvation is not of our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. God has totally removed us from the salvation equation. None of us are saved on our good works. We're saved by grace. So the judgment seat for the Christian is to give an account for what we did with our life. What did you do with your life after you were saved? We're saved by grace through faith, not Of works lest anyone should boast. We're we're saved by the blood. We have an anointing for salvation. The best way to think of that biblically is that in the Bible, things were anointed and the anointing gave it permission. So the high priests were anointed by 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 the man of God, by, by Moses or somebody, and they were anointed by another priest with oil, and that gave them permission to go into the tabernacle and serve God and not get, that was their permission. That was their entry into the tabernacle. In the book of Exodus, they, they took blood and they anointed their doorposts. And when the death angel came in, it passed over their house and they were delivered. Because of the anointing causes a response. We're anointed with the blood of Jesus. When we die, God will see the blood. He will pass over us and we enter into heaven. He said, I removed you out of the salvation equation. So you can never think that you're all that and a bag of chips and better than anybody else. You're not better than your neighbor. You're not better than your workmate. You're not better than your son, better than your daughter, better than your wife, better than your husband, better than your parents. You are no be- You are born again by the blood, saved by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because God says, I don't want you to boast about it. So I removed you out of the salvation equation. So you can't get all puffed up in righteousness and think that you're better than anybody else. So the judgment seat for the Christian is to give an account for what we did with our life, with that born again experience, that salvation moment. Romans chapter 14, why do you pass judgment on your brother or, or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so that each one will give an account of himself to God. As the judgment of the church does not concern salvation, it's primarily a, a question of reward for the service that we've done, for the acts that we've done to help build God's kingdom. Discipline will be administered in this life, that's been administered in this life, will have no value to those already that have been made perfect in heaven. So God is not, not disciplining us for any other reason other than to keep us on track with our purpose because we're saved. The bad works are discarded as unworthy of reward, but the good works that we do will be rewarded. And so the, the penalty that you face in judgment is more like a, a loss of reward rather than being punitive. It, it's, it's God being gracious rather than being uh, retributive. David E. Garland said this, who is mindful of their mortality will also be very mindful of their morality. Paul Barnett Uh, In the book, the Bible speaks today, said the teaching about the judgment seat before which all must come, believers included, reminds us that we have been saved not for a life of aimlessness or indifference, but for a life of serving the Lord. We are saved not by good works, but for good works. While we are justified by faith alone, the faith that justified is expressed by love and obedience. So the judgment is where we all, you and I, are going to give an account for what we did with the gifts that God gave us. We're going to give an account for the opportunities that God gave us, for the time that God gave us, for the talent that God gave us, for the treasures that God gave us. We're going to give an account for the opportunities that God put before us. For the doors of opportunity that God opened up for us. For the platforms that God put us on. I I believe that you and I will stand in judgment for the building that God gifted us. God didn't give us this wonderful building. We didn't inherit this from previous generations. So we could squander it and just have somewhere where we could come and hang out. God gave us this building to reach generations. God gave us a large building to reach a lot of people. Where there's much given, much is required. And sure, you and I have a great responsibility to see this building filled to overflowing. God's given us a spectacular opportunity. Men and women who've gone before us have paid the price to give us this platform and we stand in their legacy. So you and I right now have an opportunity, and God said, what are you doing with all the seats? What are you doing with the upper floor? What are you doing with the gym? What are you doing with the chapel? I, I, I see a day when you and I have services in here with six languages being translated, and the bottom filled, and the top filled. I see a day when there's a language service in the chapel and we've had to deck out the gym and put down carpet and put up speakers for temporary uh, a temporary venue on a Sunday so we can host language services in there. I, I see a day where our rooms are filled with children coming to Christ. Why? Because God is stirring his church up. God is stirring his church up. So are you trying to build a name for yourself? No, I'm trying to build a name for Jesus. I get no rewards for building a name for me, but you and I get great rewards when we build the name of Jesus and we establish the kingdom of God and we advance His purpose in our generation. But it's not going to happen without you working on it. not going to happen without you doing your thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, But according to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus. He's the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation of Jesus with gold, silver and precious stones, wood, hay and straw, that person's life is going to be revealed. So salvation is the foundation, and that foundation is Jesus. We build our life, our daily life, on that foundation. We spend our time on doing things. Some things have high value, eternal value, and the word describes that as gold, silver, and precious stones. Some things have value, but they're fairly low value in eternity, and they're temporal The scripture describes that as wood, hay, and straw. Then it says here in verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. So your work, your life at some point is going to be manifest. God's going to look at it, put a light on it, put fire to it. It's going to be tested by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So we can, we can trick people on the planet. We can, we, can, we can fool people around us. But there's one day that we're going to stand before God and God's going to go, hey, let's have a look at what you did with those 24 hours I gave you. Let's have a look at what you did with those seven days a week I gave you. What did you do with all those opportunities? What did you do with your life? How did you spend it? How did you spend your time? What did you do? God says that one day... We're going to stand before him, before the judgment seat. We're already in heaven. And God says, let's put fire on your life. And fire comes on our life. And everyone's work will become evident. Why? Because each one's life will be tested. Each one's life will be tested by fire. And the fire will reveal or manifest what we spend our life doing. So the judgment seat for us is not about salvation. It's about evaluation. We've got salvation. What he's trying to do is evaluate. What did you do with that salvation? What did you do with that call? What did you do with that opportunity? The Bible says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, survives what? The fire. Funding's work that he's built on survives the, the, the fire. He will receive a reward. So then he goes on and says, uh, the high value things are going to survive the fire, not necessarily holy, but actions that count for eternity. He said, so the things that you did for eternity are gold and silver and precious stones. They are the things that are going to survive the fire. And only the things that we do for eternity will uh, will survive the fire. It's not a sin judgment. It's just a thing judgment. What did you do with the gifts? So you, you have gifts and talents in you, whether you're a Christian or not today. If you're watching online, you have gifts and talents in you, whether you're a Christian or not. God gave you those. God gave you purpose. The things that you're good at, you're generally good at, because God wrote it into your DNA, wrote it into the fabric of who you are. I lead, I've always been a leader. My dad tells stories about pre-K teachers that would tell my dad, your son's a leader. I had teachers in elementary school that didn't appreciate the fact I was a leader. <laughs> but it was there. I was a leader. Why God put that in me? Have parts of my personal things that I do now that are just natural to me are not necessarily natural. They're God designed for me to do what I can do. And that's like you. God's designed you to do that. There are people in our world today that are making a lot of money, making a lot of cash, doing a lot of things, having a lot of success through things that God put in their spirit. God put in their DNA. God planted in them. And it was always designed for kingdom purpose. I think that some people don't want to join the kingdom because the church is too narrow in its focus. I'm going to talk a little bit about that around New Year. We're going to dream bigger dreams. But God gave you that for a kingdom responsibility, and he's going to reward you. Our Candy Palooza, which is happening today, gives an opportunity to bring the gospel to a whole heap of unsaved kids. Kids are far away from God. Hopefully you got your children. You just didn't bring your children, but you invited the neighbor's children and people that are far away from God. That's why we have these opportunities. It's an opportunity for us to present the, the gospel and to present Jesus and give kids a great encounter with, with, with church, and we give them candy in a fun environment. But you've got to understand, hours and hours of work went into that. Napo, that was here, he's uh, leading our Spanish service. He built an ark. I had an idea for a game where we needed an ark. And so we have an ark in there. And they're putting animals into the ark two by two. They have plush toys. And they have a slingshot. And they're shooting animals into the ark, two by two, because that's how Noah would have done it. (laughs) Could you imagine Noah, the big elephant on a slingshot? Look out! Incoming elephant! (laughs) But he spent hours on that. They painted it. You've got to check it out afterwards. It's brilliant. Say, well, did he do it for free? No, he didn't do it for free. Well, how much did you pay him? Nothing. I thought you said he didn't do it for free. He didn't do it for free. How much did you pay him? Nothing. What did he get paid? Heavenly reward. In heaven, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Why? It's gold, silver, and precious stones. Well, it's just an ark. Yeah, it's just an ark that kids can experience Jesus through. Get the purpose. There are adults that spent hours yesterday, hundreds of man hours, setting all that up, building the decorations, building all the games, doing all sorts of stuff. They're going to get rewarded in heaven. These things don't go unnoticed. When you bring somebody to church, when you serve somebody in the lobby, when you clean a carpet, when you clean a bathroom, when you paint a wall, when you when you minister to the broken, when you pray for the hurting, when you talk about Jesus, when you when you use your life to bring somebody into the kingdom, however that manifests itself. That's kingdom purpose that has eternal value. And it's ka-ching, 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 ka-ching in heaven. When you come down on our prayer nights and you pray, ka-ching, it has eternal reward. Because things are happening in heaven. Gold, silver, and precious stone. The gold, silver, and precious stone, that's not the reward. But that's the indicator that you will be rewarded. Rewarded. I have no idea what the rewards are going to be. But all I all I can think about is if this, this life is a precursor, if this is just the beginning for what we're going to do in eternity, and God is building new earth and new heavens, then we've got a lot of work to do in eternity, and this is just a run-up for it. We're running into eternity together. Amen. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. These are things that are low value. They're temporal. They're not sin. It's not bad. It's not evil things you're doing. That's under the blood. But these are things that don't have any eternal value. Wood could speak to us on what you build your world on. Your car, your house, your clothing, your stuff. They're not bad doesn't matter what car you drive. You've got a Ferrari. Awesome. Can I borrow it? <laughs> How cool would that be to pull up at the Assembly of God, Potomac District Conference, me and a Ferrari? No one would talk about that. <laughs> but God doesn't care what car you drive, whether it's a Ferrari or just a beater, because in eternity has the exact same value. It's not about your salvation. You could own a Ferrari, have a very expensive car, and spend hours serving in the kingdom of God. You've got ash and gold and silver. You could drive a beat-up V-dub and do nothing in the kingdom of God, and all you've got is ash. You're not going to get rewarded because you don't have anything on the planet. Everything you have on the planet is just Ash. You can wear fancy clothes or normal clothes. doesn't matter. In heaven, they're ash. They have no eternal value. Get your face off that and your mind out of the thing. That doesn't have any value. So if you're spending all your life trying to get stuff and trying to get stuff and I need more stuff and I want to get some stuff and they've got stuff, I need more stuff. Then you're spending all your life trying to get that. You're going to get a pile of ash. Hay is what we feed our world on. It's our food, it's our drink, it's all those things that are just consumable, our hobbies. Nothing wrong with it. My wife took me out to dinner on uh, Friday night for my my, my birthday and we went to some Chinese restaurant downtown uh, DC at the waterfront. It was awesome. And they have a thing called the, what's it called? The Cotton Candy Baked Alaska. I only went there for that. Anything with cotton candy. Just sounds awesome. And baked Alaska has ice cream. Can you think of anything better than cotton candy and ice cream? I hopefully we'll get that in heaven. And 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 so the waiter bought this baked Alaska out. There's this massive, big I should have put it on the massive big thing of cotton. It's like this big, cotton candy. It was just huge. It was awesome. It was the best thing you've ever seen in your life. And and, and, and he comes out and he brings the, the cotton candy baked and sits it on a tray. And I'm like, whoa oh, this is awesome. But then he got a pot. I'm pretty sure it was full of brandy or something. And he set it on fire to burn all the alcohol out. He's burning it, burning, burning the pot, burning it. I'm like What is he going to do with the pot? What's he going to do with that pot? And then he closes the lid. Then he pours the stuff all over the cotton candy and he sets the cotton candy on fire and he goes (laughs) and all the cotton candy disappears and I'm left with a blob of ice cream on the plate it was the most sacrilegious thing I've seen done for a long time like is this guy even saved but that's sort of what's going to happen in heaven we spend all this time chasing the cotton candy and then and ends up nothing it's a blob of ice cream Our works will be tested. Some of it's described as as stubble. These are things that we waste our world on, flicking through social media. Nothing wrong or evil with flicking through social media. I like to see what people are doing. But if you're spending hours just flicking through social media, looking at social media and not doing other things, just flicking through social media, nothing evil, nothing wrong, nothing sinful, unless you're looking at something that's sinful. But it has no eternal value. It's just wasting your time. It's stubble. By grace, you've been saved through faith and that it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you and I should walk in them. It is foolish to live our life as a Christian and not anticipate that one day every one of us is going to stand before God and answer for what we did with our life. It's appointed under man once to die. We have an appointment. We have a start date. We have a finish date. We have a that in the middle. This is that. We're living our that right now. And your that may not be as long as my that. My that may not be as long as your that. But we all have a before that, that God's given us to live out our that. And then after that, that, there's an after that. And after that comes the judgment. God's going to look at what we did with our life. And our life is temporal. But we're created for eternity. You get 70 years, 100 years, whatever you get. I had had two uncles die at 99. They nearly made it to 100. But even a hundred years seems long here, but it's not long for eternity. It's like a hundred pesos for Jeff Bezos. If you're the richest man on the planet and somebody drops a hundred, you're not going to worry about it. That's what God is like. God says it's a little fraction of time, but I want you to spend it wisely. It's a little moment in life, but I want you to spend it wisely. And and, And you can do your own things. It's okay to do all those. It's okay to have a block of land. It's okay to have five oxen. It's okay to get married. All those things are fine. It's okay to be a rich young ruler. None of those things are bad. None of those things are evil. But can you lay it down to pick up my kingdom? Are you going to keep all that a priority and make me a zero priority? Are you going to attend church every week or once every now and then when you've got time? Are you going to serve in church when you can or just once every now and then when you get time? Are you going to be meeting people, inviting people, praying for people, ministering to people, serving? Are you going to be a host? Are you going to be our kids ministry? Are you going to be in the band? Are you going to sing? What are you going to do? Are you going to minister to the poor? Are you going to help us establish our warehouse so we can feed people through CityServe and minister to people through CityServe? Are you going to work to build the kingdom of God? They are the things that we get rewarded for. And God has opened a door at church. We're not the only opportunity and we're not the only platform and we're not the only way way that you can uh, earn heavenly reward but we are an opportunity for you that you could walk through there are other opportunities there are other ways i understand that but we are a great opportunity for you to engage in and say god I, i i i want to live for you and it's appointed under man wants to die and after that judgment i'd love it if the band would come I'd love it if the band would come right now. How we live our life. I celebrate birthdays now. I never used to. I didn't like getting older. But a friend of mine, Phil Camden, was diagnosed with ALS, motor neurons disease, Lou Gehrig's disease, something like 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. It's a death sentence. You can't, they, they can't operate it out. They can't chemo it out. There's no cure. Absolutely no cure. He taught me to celebrate life. But the other thing that I, I, I appreciate about Phil was when he was diagnosed with that horrible diagnosis. He didn't lose faith. He didn't lose heart. He didn't lose the desire to live. He's doing everything he can. When, when he got diagnosed, none of us had grandchildren. He's got a swag of them. Now I've got, I've got three. But he made a decision. This is what he said, which amazed me, because he had to resign his church. He was a pastor of a great church in Newcastle. He had to resign his church because he just had to give his energy to staying alive. But this is what he said. I believe that God has called me to be a missionary to the ALS community. If if I'm going to live this short frame of life, I'm not just going to exist at trying to stay alive. I'm, I'm going I'm to live the life that I have with kingdom mentality. And so he become this, this pastor, this minister to the ALS community. He has buried dozens of people who have the very same disease that he's going to die from. I don't know how you have the intestinal fortitude to be there ministering to a family of a loved one who died, who has what he has. And I've watched him. He, he Every year, he, he does the, the fundraising. He gets behind the fundraising, the deep freeze, I think they call it, the big freeze, where they raise money for Lou Gehrig's disease. I put it up on my Facebook, put it out. I've sponsored them. But he, he's not only just said, I'm going uh, to help these people. I'm going to help raise money so we can find a cure. Bob's done that. Bob did testing, did radio, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the testing is, but it makes him radioactive. He glows in the dark. And and, and Bob Bob's doing that, saying, look, I've got, I've got this thing in my bones. I need to get out. But I'm not doing it for me to sustain my life. I'm doing it so they can find a cure to help other people coming after the way. So you spend your life just ministering to other people. I love that. I love that mentality. I love what Phil has taught me to live valuing every moment valuing every birthday i call him on his birthday it was just a couple of weeks ago he calls me on mine we call it our defying death day come on phil we defy death another year we've had friends who've died since he's been diagnosed but he maximized his moment to say god i know that what i'm doing here may be limited but everything i do here i can live for eternity I can do it for eternity. And every time Phil goes in his wheelchair, well, he doesn't use his hands, he's motorized, and he ministers to a family who are hurting through Lou Gehrig's disease and he's sharing the gospel. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. He could have an excuse. I'm too weak. It's too hard for me to get around. I'm in a wheelchair. I've got this disease, I'm exhausted. But he gets in there and ka-ching, 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 And on that day, when he stands before Jesus, I want that for you. I want that for you.